number of years ago, the fiction writer Anne Rice surprised the world by declaring that she had become a Christian. This surprised so many people because her fiction, which is all about vampires, didn't have any Christian themes in it and uh, had you know, all kinds of violence and stuff like that, as you would expect from a vampire series, and that's what she became known for. But about 10 years later, she surprised the world once again by declaring that she is no longer a Christian. And this is what she said. For those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years, I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. I don't really like disappointing all my Christian friends and contacts. I really don't like it. It's painful. But I did what I felt I had to do. I wonder how those words hit you. I wonder if you had an opportunity to sit down with Anne Rice and have a conversation with her in which she told you what she just said. What would you say to her? What would you want to say with her? What if you were sitting down with a friend of yours or a family member of yours who basically said, you know what, I'm out. I've tried belonging to this community of Jesus followers, but I can't take it anymore. What would you want to say? I know what I would want to say. If I had an opportunity to sit down with Anne Rice, I would want to say, I'm so sorry that this was your experience. I too know what it's like to be hurt by people who say they follow Jesus. I too know what, it, what it's like to, to feel like you've been stabbed in the back, to be around people who just pick fights about everything that you say. I'm so sorry. Tell me more of your story. That's what I would want to say with her, to, to her. But she's not alone in her experience. This quote is attributed to Gandhi, who once said, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, words like this give you deep pain. But you understand where they're coming from. If so many Christians are so unlike Jesus, let's just simply ask the question, what was Jesus known for? Why do people find an attraction to Jesus, even the worst of the worst, but feel so repulsed because of their contact with Christians. What was Jesus known for? Well, he was known for so many things, no doubt. He was known for being a miracle worker. He was known for wowing the crowds with his teaching. But he was probably most well known for his sacrificial love. The scriptures tell us that Jesus loved us and gave himself for us. If Jesus was known for anything, it was known, or he was known for his love. And so, my friends, as we think about how the gospel of Jesus should form the community of Jesus, we need to ask some, some really hard questions, don't we? 
We need to ask the question of how we contribute to the reputation of Christians. Are we helping that reputation? Or are we causing that reputation to be worse than it is? Last week, as we began thinking about what it means to be the community of Jesus, we went back to the very beginning, the birth of the church after Jesus rose again from the dead. We looked at that that famous sermon that Peter preached 50 days after the resurrection. And he talked about how people were turning back to God and God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And on that particular day, some 3,000 people were added. And he tells us the effect of the gospel was that it created a community of Jesus that was devoted to the fellowship or to the community of Jesus. And so we spent time last week asking ourselves the question, what would it look like for us to be devoted to one another like the early followers of Jesus were devoted to one another? So we're going to call our study today, Our Mission is Love. And I usually don't spend a whole lot of time on a sermon title. We probably forget them pretty quickly anyway. But I really wrestled with this, and I wasn't pleased with it, but it still kind of gets at what we're saying there. I thought about calling it Back to the Basics, and I actually thought about calling it If We Get Nothing Else Right. <laughs> There's one thing we need to get right. And we're going to look at this today. We're going to be in John chapter 13, looking at verses 34 and 35. And Jesus says to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you. Now let's step back before we look at that commandment and remember the context. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's been discipling his followers for three years. They believe, they're convinced that he's the Messiah. They believe and are convinced he's going to deliver the kingdom of God. And so this night, as they made their long march to Jerusalem, and they're celebrating the Passover which marks the liberation of God's people from slavery in Egypt, they're convinced that Jesus is on the cusp of doing something amazing, something great. And they're convinced it has everything to do with overthrowing Rome. So Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. And I imagine they leaned in. Like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. What is it, Jesus, that you want us to know now? Give us our marching orders. We're ready to go. We're ready to die for you. And so Jesus says, a new commandment. I give to you, that you love one another. And I imagine they were taken back just a moment, not because this was something earth-shattering, but because he's taught this to them on numerous occasions. (laughs) He's taught them to even love their enemies. They were with him when he was confronted by this expert in the law who tested Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And they heard Jesus say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. They've heard Jesus talk about love. In fact, if you were to ask any disciple what's at the heart of Jesus' message They would say he's talking about a kingdom that is all about love. So when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, they must have been scratching their heads, wondering, what is he getting at? We already have this one down. We've been in a master class with you, Jesus, for three years about how to love one another. But this is what was new. A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So let's just dial in on this new addition to God's desire for us to love. What's new about that commandment is not to love one another, but to love like Jesus loved. And I wonder what came across their mind when they heard this. No one had loved them like Jesus had. For three years, he's invested in them. For three years, he has loved them. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been with Jesus for three years and to experience his love day in and day out? Can you imagine how Jesus would have encouraged you by his love? How he would have inspired you by his love? How he bore your burdens in love? How he heard your story in love? Everything Jesus did with them was oriented around love. So when Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another, they had a really good idea of what Jesus meant. But over the next few days, they would get an even better idea of what Jesus meant. Because Jesus, unbeknownst to them, was about to be betrayed. To their horror, he was about to be crucified. And then they would see the resurrected Jesus. And then everything would fall into place for them about how the Messiah would have to give his life as a ransom for them. To have, to have their sins piled up on Jesus and condemned in his flesh on the cross so that they could receive that forgiveness. So God could be just and the justifier of those who put their trust in Jesus. And so that same evening, Jesus said to them these words, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Oh, how that would become clear to them over the next few days. As they move from horror to awe and wonder, and to be able to experience the love of Jesus once again. My friends, we know this to be true just in society in general. Just think about that day when terrorists flew those planes into the Twin Towers in New York. And as everybody was running out, we had first responders who ran in. And so many of them gave their lives in an attempt to rescue other people. And this verse was quoted over and over again. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And we hold those kind of people up as heroes, don't we? We tell others that this is the kind of love that we ought to emulate. Jesus was getting at something very core and essential to what it means to be human. That is to love and to love deeply and to even give ourselves for one another. What's interesting is that when Jesus talks about love, he's using a very specific word. In the English language, we talk about how we love our mom or our dad or our kids. We talk about how we love bluebell ice cream. We talk about how we love our dogs. and We mean something different by each one of those, but we only have one word to use in English. But in the Greek language, there are actually four different words that people use. One of them referred to a family affection. Another referred to a romantic love. Another talked about the love of friends and how they have that affection towards one another. And there's this word called agape. You may have heard of it before. Sometimes churches call themselves agape church or agape fellowship. 
It's a word that means an unconditional sacrificial love. It's that love that Jesus talked about when he said, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down their life for their friends. I love what the legendary G.I. Packer once said. (laughs) He said, the Greek word agape, love, seems to have been virtually a Christian invention, a Jesus invention, a new word for a new thing. And so it became known among the first Christians as that kind of love by which God loves us and the kind of love by which Jesus loved us. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, he's given them a new command that they should love one another, he's talking about this kind of agape love. So according to Jesus, this agape, sacrificial kind of love, is how he wants his disciples to love one another and to display his new way of being human. Or if I can put it this way, According to Jesus, this agape, sacrificial kind of love is how he wants you and me to love one another and to display his new way of being human before a watching world. Jesus goes on in verse 35 and says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm always fascinated by Jesus (laughs) basically going all in on this. He didn't say to his disciples, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have perfect theology, all your T's crossed and I's dotted, as important as having good theology is. He didn't say, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you judge everyone and tell them how incorrectly they're living. I mean, he could have said that. But he said, this is how people are going to know that you belong to me, that you follow me, that you are invested in my way of being human. If you have love for one another. Leon Morris, in his commentary, put it like this. This, that is, this agape kind of love, is the distinguishing mark of Christ's followers. N.T. Wright, in his commentary, put it like this. This was to be the badge that Christianity wears before the watching world. Or how about in the words of J.C. Rao? This agape kind of love, it was to be the test of Christianity before the watching world. As I was thinking about his words there, I thought about those Christians who are around Anne Rice or who are around Gandhi and how they failed that test. How they displayed something else them other than the love of Jesus. The Apostle John got this. He was writing to Christians experiencing persecution in a growingly growingly hostile Roman Empire. And this is what he said. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Do you see how the Apostle John is tapping into that kind of agape love? This is how we know what agape love is. Christ laid down his life for us, and therefore we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And he goes on and says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I mean, not only does the apostle root this idea of love and loving one another 
in the sacrificial death of Jesus for us, but he also roots it in the very character of God. I want to throw this diagram up on the screen. We understand how the scriptures teach us that God is one being who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a mind-blowing concept that we can, we can barely even get our minds around. But at the very heart of reality is a God who not only experiences love but gives love in this community of the Trinity. And what we learn is that when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit does something wonderful. He unites us to Christ, and we're drawn into the fellowship, the deep, deep love of God. And we begin to experience it even now in this present life. It's not something that's just reserved for us in the future when we get to heaven. It's something that now we can begin to, to taste and to experience. This is how Paul put it in his book, Romans. God's love has been poured into our hearts. Not that it will be. Not that it's a promise for someday in the future to be a reality. He says God's love has been poured out into our hearts. This is past tense. Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In other words, what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to take the love of God and begin pouring it into our lives so that we begin to experience it and it begins to overflow naturally to one another. This is so important because we can look at that command to love one another and go, oh man, just another thing i got to do. Or we can see this command and go, this is, this is of course what I want to do. <laughs> I've tasted this love of God for myself and I want to share it with, with God's people. I want it to overflow in my life everywhere. So let's go back and look at that passage once again from the Apostle John. I'm going to use the word agape in place of love. Beloved, let us agape one another for agape is from God, and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God, because God is agape. In this, the agape of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. We agape because he first agaped us. We love because he first loved us. This should be the most natural thing for us. If the love of God has been poured into our lives, it should overflow in love for one another. So, my friends, let's bottom line this for ourselves. Our assignment, our task, our mission from Jesus is to love one another as Jesus loved us. So my friends, how are we doing? This last year of social distancing has given us reason to kind of put this on hold in many ways. Some of us have tried to figure out what does it look like to love one another, but as we, we have opportunity now to come back together and to buy back into what Jesus calls us to do. I wonder if I can ask you to buy back into this today. I wonder if we can go back to the basics of what Jesus wants from you and me today. I wonder if we get nothing else right, if we can begin to get this right today. The Apostle Paul understood how desperately important this is. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I feel like this must have been what Anne Rice and Gandhi and so many other people who have looked at the Christian community and go, hey, that's not for me. They just experienced a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. He goes on to say, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so it's to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want to have all knowledge, be able to understand all mysteries? Who wouldn't want to have prophetic powers? But Paul said you can have all that. You can move mountains, so great is your faith. But if you don't have love, you've missed it. He says, I'm nothing, if that's the case. So I want to put it this way. Followers of Jesus are nothing, if not loving. There's two different ways we tend to use this expression, right? We talk about how someone, they're nothing if not loving, to emphasize the fact how loving they are, right? If they're nothing else, this is what this person is like. They're loving. Or we might say if this person is nothing else, they're generous, to highlight the fact that they're generous. But we can also put it like this. Followers of Jesus are nothing if they are not loving. That's what Paul would want us to understand because he understood how desperately central, how much back to the basics this was, how if we get nothing else right, we've got to get this right. We've got to be a community that loves one another just as Jesus loved the church. Now, I want to, to, to get us thinking for just a moment. According to the studies, 2020 was a tough year for the church. According to the studies, one out of every three people in the United States who call themselves Christians checked out of Christianity. The studies show that all churches, whether big churches or small churches, new churches, old churches, on average, churches through 2020 have lost 30% of the people who once belonged to them. I'll be honest, we've lost people through this last year. For various reasons, there are people who once walked with us who are no longer a part of us. And we could look at that and get really down about that. Or we could just ask ourselves the question, what does God want us to do in this moment? What if God has reduced our numbers a little bit so we can get back to the basics with one another, so we can put into practice loving one another, so that we can move forward from this moment on, being the community of Jesus who loves one another well. What if part of what God's designed through this very tough and difficult year is to show us that we can't flourish as individuals, let alone as the community of faith, if we do not love one another as Christ has loved us? So what if this moment is a moment for us to move forward in this new way of being human that Jesus described, where we begin to love one another just as he has loved us? 
So a couple points of application. Let's get to the heart of the matter, my friends. Let's think about, as, as I was thinking about putting this message together, I was thinking it would be easy for us just to come here today and go, okay, I get it, Pastor. We need to love one another, so all right, let's just go love one another. And that would be a good application, but I feel like there's another step that we need to have in place. And it's at the level of our hearts. We need to, to have a, an uprooting of the inclinations and, and natural ways our hearts work so that they become more in line with the way Jesus wants us to. And so to highlight this, I, w- I just want to press us just a little bit further here. The Apostle Peter, writing to some persecuted Christians living in that first century Roman Empire, said, Let us love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again. Now, some of you might remember when we did that series on life together, and we went through all the one another commands, and we talked about that command of loving one another, how we brought this verse to the forefront, and we highlighted that word earnestly. So Paul says not just let us love one another, but let us love one another earnestly. And that word earnestly is the same Greek word that was used to describe racehorses that were straining to outrun one another to, to win that prize. It talked about how they had every muscle in their being earnestly leaning in to that win. Interestingly, it's the same word that was used of Jesus on that night, after the dinner, when he gave those instructions that we're looking at today to his disciples, when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying so earnestly, we're told, that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In other words, he was so dialed in, he was so intent in this prayer before God, the weight of the world bearing down on him, that his blood pressure was so high that his capillaries began to leak and merge with his sweat glands. And it looked like he was sweating blood. That's how dialed into the moment. And so that's what Peter says. That word earnestly, let's love one another that way. In fact, later in that letter, he would say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. My friends, I don't do this well. There's one person I love earnestly. And I wish I could say that was my wife. But the one person I love earnestly, with every fiber of my being, is me. I'm the first thing I think of in the morning. I'm usually the last thing I think of at night. And I'm consumed with myself throughout the day. But let me tell you this. Jesus is beginning to transform me. Because I want to love myself far less. And I want to begin to love one another, this church well, my family well, I want to be known as a disciple of Jesus Christ who loves well. So let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God wants to so transform you that you love each other just as Jesus has loved you? That's what he's after. And so my friends, as I'm I'm trying to stretch us in this moment to love one another just as Jesus loved us, to love one another earnestly, I hope I bring us here to a moment of despair where we're going, how is that even possible? I can't love like this. And if we get to that moment, there's good news. I love what Augustine said. He said, God gives you commands you cannot keep so that you may know what you ought to ask 
of him. So in one sense, my friends, we hear Jesus say to us, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I loved you. A part of us goes, Jesus, I can't do that. If I have any hope of being able to love like you loved, I need you to transform me. I need to experience your love at the core of my being so that it begins to radically change my affections and my desires. That it begins to spill over naturally into love for one another. Augustine, another place, put it like this. Give what you command and command what you will. Jesus, if you want me to love like this, then you work in me that which is pleasing in your sight. Your wish is my command. So that's the first point of application. Let's get to the heart of the matter. Here's the second one. Let's plug into the right power source. My friends, you and I cannot just simply will to love like Jesus did. We've got to be drenched in that love which willingly went to the cross for us. And how his redeeming love on that cross should be the theme of our lives. It should be the song that we sing. It should be the impulse of our hearts for everything we do. As Paul said, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul, that persecutor of Jesus, the one who was responsible for putting the first Christians to death, was radically confronted and forgiven and commissioned by Jesus to be his spokesman to the Roman Empire. And he never got over the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, loved him and gave himself for him. My friends, if this is working in your life, it's begin to overflow in love for one another. So let me ask you this question. If there was one person who was so captivated by the love of God in Christ Jesus, why can't that be me? Why can't that be you? Don't listen to that lie that's going on in your head that says, you can't be that. Why not? If the love of God has been poured out into your hearts, if you can't get over the fact that the Son of God loved you and gave himself for you, then why can't you be that one person who is so captivated by the love of Christ that it just naturally spills over in you? What if each and every one of us said, you know what, Lord? If there's one person who is so captivated by your love that it spills over to others, if there is one person who, who so understands how you loved me that it becomes natural for me to overflow that into other people's lives, why can't that be you? Why can't that be me? And so, my friends, let us also live the life of the future now in the present. As we think about the heart of the matter and as we think about plugging into that power source of the gospel that enables us to love... Let's live the life of the future now in the present. What do I mean by that? Think about where all of history is headed. It's headed to the kingdom of God, heaven, the new heavens and new earth, where everything that harms will be banished and everything that is tasted of the love of God in Christ is brought to perfection, where everyone loves just like God loves. I've shared this quote with some of you before. Jonathan Edwards has this this, um, sermon that I try to read about once a year called Heaven is a World of Love. And this is what he said. Get what he's saying here. In the paradise of love, and what a beautiful description of heaven. The paradise of love. In that paradise of love, everything is filled with love. 
and everything conspires to promote it and kindle it and keep up its flame, and nothing ever interrupts it. Here, Jonathan Edwards says, heaven, it's a world with love. It's a world filled with love. In fact, everyone there in the kingdom of God is filled with love. The love of God is expressing itself in and through angels and, a, and through the, the redeemed of all the ages so that they're experiencing exactly what they were designed to experience. Love. Unfiltered, pure, maximized, spilling over, enlivening and invigorating everything that you and I so long for. Everything is conspiring to promote and to imbibe and to maximize love in the coming kingdom. And so my friends, let me ask you this question. If that's where we're headed, if those of us who love Jesus and given ourselves for him and allegiance to him are headed to that great and glorious kingdom where everything conspires to promote love, what if we began living like that now? What would it look like for God's love to so begin to work in you and me that we begin to love well now? Think about our community of Bryan College Station. Can you think for just a moment if everyone became a follower of Jesus and everyone loved just like Jesus loved? That would be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? This would be the greatest place to live in the world. And it's still a pretty cool place without that. <laughs> but just think about how much better it would be if everyone and this community of Bryan College Station loved like Jesus loved. But let's just, let's just dial in on the churches. What if everyone who called themselves a follower of Jesus loved like Jesus loved them? What if, what if no other church did this, but we who are part of Mercy Hill Church got this right? What if we went back to the basics? What if we did nothing else well but we loved one another well. Why can't that be us? What if the Apostle Paul, for example, were to write a letter like he wrote to the Thessalonians? He would write a letter to us, and this is what he said. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God how to love each other. <laughs> Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. What if the Apostle Paul could come and be in our midst because he's been in our midst, he says, you know what? You guys have mastered what God wants. You've been taught by God to love one another. And all he can say is just keep this up. Do it more and more. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if God had someone that he wanted to experience his love and he said, I wonder what church in Bryan College Station I could send them to so they would begin to experience this. And he said, you know what? I know exactly where I'm going to send them. I'm going to send them to Mercy Hill. Wouldn't that be something? And what if they came here? And they said, you know what? I don't know about all this stuff they believe. But there's one thing they've nailed. And that's love. I haven't experienced anything like it. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, living at the end of the second century, beginning of the third century, wrote a treatise called Apology or Apologetic. And he was talking about how the, the surrounding culture looked at the Christian community. And this is what they were saying, how they love one another. What if that was said about us? 
What if Anne Rice could say, today I became a Christian because I simply couldn't resist being a part of this group of people who are deservedly famous for how they love one another. What if Gandhi could say something like this? Your Christians are so like your Christ. See how they love one another just as Jesus taught them. What an impact we could make in this world. So Mercy Hill Church, may you be known as followers of Jesus who love one another well just as Christ has loved you.